This episode of Roderick on the Line is sponsored by Need. Need is a refined retailer and lifestyle publication for men. Need has just launched Volume 2.2, featuring items to help you make small, meaningful changes in your life. To learn more, visit neededition.com. Hello. Hi, John. Hi, Merlin. How's it going? Good. Yep. How are my packets? <laughs> oh, your packets are, are handsome so far. Good, good. I like to have my packets arrive 100% packed with mm. no loss. No loss of any kind of the content. Yeah, way back in 2014, that was one of my resolutions. Mm, really? I would keep my packets tight. It's so hard because I don't know. Uh, you know, it's like it's like they say, "Don't let somebody else pack your parachute." That's what they say. Yeah. Uh, but I feel like every time I go on the internet, somebody else is packing my parachute mm, a little bit. I hear that, sister. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I you know do. What I'm saying? You know, whenever, and, uh, whenever, and I don't like it. Whenever people say things like that, though, I can't help but have this thought go through my mind, which is, what if they're way better at packing it than you are? Ah, good point. Not you, you not your parachute. Not not all parachutes. If you had a professional parachute packer, mm-hmm. and then you yourself was just some kind of like one-time Charlie, <laughs> which one would you want to have pack your parachute? That's a great point. I think maybe it's, it's definitely less catchy, but maybe what we should say is don't let one-time Charlie pack your parachute. That's right. Well, and you know what? I have jumped out of an airplane. You're kidding. And let me tell you who packed my parachute. A professional parachute packer. Mm. Not me. Yeah. Because uh, they didn't even offer me the option. <laughs> <laughs> let, me, let me go ahead and just take care of that for you. Tell you what. Tell you what. We, we've been doing this a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and I was glad for it. It opened just fine. So you did skydiving? One time when I was, uh, what, 22 years old, I was going to the university and there was a, and I was trying to figure out the kind of woman I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. Do you understand this, this, uh, conundrum? Yeah, I think it You're comes like, up, it comes up from time to time. You think, yeah. hmm. I'm gonna, you know, I, I feel like, uh, I feel like I've, I've gone through several experimental phases. I feel like I am now, uh, a uh, I, comfortable saying that I am heterosexual and I'm gonna and I'm interested in women. I'm glad you're finally willing to admit that. Yeah, and uh, and like so, what is my what is my uh, what, who is my my other who is my 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 woman partner? And I went through sev- several iterations of like, well, let's see. You know, I feel like I want her to be confident and strong and and capable and her own person and all the you know there were so many so many examples in college of people that i didn't want to be that kind of man i didn't want to be around that kind of man i didn't want to be with that kind of woman etc and there was a there was a gal in one of my classes who had a who had blonde hair braided in this braid that was as thick as a baby's arm and it went down past her hand-tooled, turquoise-accented leather belt. Mm. You paint a picture. And she sometimes... She always had, like, dusty, rough-out cowboy boots on. And sometimes she wore a kind of, mm, let's say, uh, gaucho hat. Mm. Boy, she knows who she is. 
Yeah, she really did. And she, this is, you know, what, 1991, 91 or 92. And um, so I was, so I sidled up to her. Oh, and she was also like, always was really engaged with the professor, always, you know, sitting in the, she always sat in the front row. So I could see her braid because I was sitting in the back, of course. So, because I like to survey the class. Yeah. I asked her out. We went out on a few dates. They were sort of, it was sort of middling, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Because it turned out later that I did not really want like a Santa Fe artist type. Hmm. Yes. You know, like that's not where I was headed in life. But at one point she was like, let's go skydiving. And I felt like this is the kind of adventurous date that I always dreamt of, right? Mm-hmm. She 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 proposes that we go skydiving. Of course, I'll go skydiving. And we went up. We spent the whole day skydiving. And you know, you have the option of going where you're basically wearing an actual skydiver as a backpack, right? <laughs> or going by yourself. And I was like, I don't want anybody humping me on the way down. Like I'm, we're we're gonna go. We're gonna go ourselves. Especially especially if she didn't want that option. You feel, would, you feel, would you feel a little undignified if you're like, can I have two people? Yeah. Can we all go can together? Can I have a backup person, too? And it was pretty amazing. You know, I, <clears throat> I've i spent a lot of time in small planes, so I wasn't uncomfortable. I wasn't anxious um, being in the plane, and we get up there, and they're like, okay, who wants to go first? And kind of look around. There's like five of us in the plane. Not even. Not even. It was a small It was like there were three of us, let's say. I don't even remember. It was so long ago, but I remember the part. There would have where, to be. There would have to be four of you if you had a grabby guy. Now, so you, but I'm, but you're saying you elected not to have a grabby guy. Not neither of us had a grabby guy. And uh, and she in the in the moment she looked at me and she was like, "You go first. and I was like, "I'll go first. And I'm and I was not feeling any like anxiety at all. This was all very familiar sight and smells. And so I stepped out on the. It's like every other plane trip you've ever taken, except you jump out in the sky. Yeah, except I'm wearing a parachute on this one. Yeah, and there there aren't really seats in the plane, right? You're just kind of sitting in a. It's an empty plane. So I, I, they're like, put your feet on the wheel, and I'm like, I'm very comfortable doing this. I've put my feet on the wheel a million times, not in the air, but. Not feeling weird at all. Put my feet on the wheel, and then they're like, "Reach out and grab onto the strut with your feet on the wheel." The strut's the thing re- that holds the wing up. That's right, because we're in a one eighty five or something. It's a, a the high wing airplane. So I reach out and I grab onto the strut, and I'm feeling very confident. And then the guy says, "Now just slip your feet off the wheel and hold onto the strut." And it seemed like this. It was the like. Uh, obviously, that's the next move, right? And my vision was that I was going to slip my feet off the wheel, and my feet were going to f- uh, like fly back behind me, and then I would be hanging onto the strut <clears throat> like Superman, with my body, you know, straight behind me, and then I would have the opportunity to decide whether I was going to jump or not and of course you slip your feet off the wheel and you don't your feet don't 
hang behind you and you're not like flying like Superman deciding whether to jump or not. Harold Lloyd hanging off the face of a clock. (laughs) That's exactly right. You slip your feet off the wheel and all of a sudden your whole body weight plus the weight of the air, uh, the friction is pulling at you. The gravity is hungry for you. You're holding onto this strut with your cat claws. And I was like, what? No, wait. And there's no... There's no deciding to jump. You cling to this plane until you are swept off of it. Oh my god! And it's a genius move. It's a, it, sound, it sounds like a skydiving hack. They don't really tell you that that's that's the trick. Yeah, there's no like they've been through this a million times. You don't stand in the doorway and the guy's like, "Okay, whenever you're ready," you know, or <clears throat> or the light turns green and you jump because they've been doing this for years. And I'm sure people just stand there in the doorway, paralyzed, like, "Yes, no, yes, no." So he walks you through this, like, "Stand on the wheel, okay, grab the strut, all right, now just slip your feet off," and the decision is made. Oh my god! And so there's there's this picture of me holding on to the strut with my tongue completely out of my mouth like a like a golden retriever uh, sticking his head out the window of a car mm. because I opened my mouth at, to stick my tongue out in like a in a uh, sort of in the style of the times like a shaka bra like woo <laughs> and the wind grabbed my tongue and stretched it to my ear and uh, it's just, it, I was only hanging there for, it could have only been a couple of seconds before I was swept off the plane. Oh, my God. <laughs> and uh, and is, it, is it open in that kind of, I mean, it sounds like you haven't had any kind of training for this. This is where no. it opens automatically when you jump out the plane, right? Yeah, it's like uh, it's like, uh, like parachuting onto a D-Day beach. It's connected to the plane with a cord, and you... As soon as you fall away, it rips this your... It sounds like a horrible, horrible way to do that. <laughs> to, so you know, it only works on the first guy, right? Because you can't trick the other folks. But go, oh, here, put your feet on the wheel. Well, <clears throat> uh, you know, I for the, for the people that are in the plane, it probably looked like I got out there, did the whole thing, and then was like, I'm ready! Couldn't you, you like, hit I... your head or something? Well, no, because they, they have you away from the plane. Because they have you reach out and grab the strut kind of far... As far out as you can, as far as out, out as you can reach. So you're. I wouldn't jump into a pool that way, let alone the <laughs> sky. <laughs> Ooh, and <clears throat> what was incredible was they the, uh, during the training, which is <laughs> a couple of hours of like, here's what's going to happen. You're going to fall. Just kind of um, a walk and talk as you go through the gift shop. <laughs> anyway, exactly. it's going to be really easy. You're, you're, it's be great. Fun. We got professional par- parachute packers here. Don't worry about it. One time, Charlie. <laughs> Uh, uh, they talk about the fact that a lot of people black out, that, that, that the experience of falling from an airplane is so unfamiliar that your body just like, such a terrible idea. (laughs) your body just reboots. It just, that's what I was thinking. I mean, to do like actual real parachute skydiving where you pull your own cord. I mean, don't you go through like weeks and weeks of training? Yeah. You have to do this. Where, Is that where just the, I Love Lucy? I'm, I'm pretty sure you have to actually have lots of training and jump off a little block and stuff and learn how to oh, roll. All of that. And then you have to do multiple skydives where the where the cord is pulled for you. Right. Because w- as I was going through the training, I was like, there's no way I'm going to black out. Like, come on. Seems, what? Back to the pool, though. It seems, it's a little <laughs> bit, it seems a little bit like having somebody take swimming classes for eight weeks without ever actually getting into the water. 
and then and then say, here's how you do it. Here's how you do a breaststroke. Ready? Let go and of the strut. Go! <laughs> right. Sploosh. Well, so, so I'm like, there's no way I'm going to black out. But as soon as I let go of the strut, or as soon as I was swept off the wing of the plane, to be honest, I have very clear memory of the... Because you, I'm falling backwards, right? I mean, I'm like, I fall away, and what I'm look, I'm not looking down. I'm looking up because just the nature of the way you're pulled, and I see the plane getting rapidly smaller mm. as it goes away from me, and I get total tunnel vision, like everything collapses. Yeah. And I am on the absolute verge of blacking out. All oh I can God. see in the very center of my perception is this little, like, kind of the, like the end of a Looney Tunes. Right, and it just goes, zoop, and I can see the airplane in the center of this little hole of light as it falls away from me. And I manage to fight off. Uh, completely passing out, but just barely. And then the parachute, boom, and then all of a sudden you're hanging above, you're hanging in, under a canopy. Mm. And only then do you realize that you're hanging under a canopy like 6,000 feet above the oh ground. <laughs> and, then, oh. and that is a completely outrageous feeling. Oh. Uh, because you're, because you, you know, your, 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 your feet and your butt keep trying to find the chair. <laughs> you're just like, it seems where's like every, the... every impulse i mean you know you watch people do it in movies and they look cool and stuff but i think like every impulse your body would have at that point would be asinine to to, to a spectator because first of all i would shit myself i'm pretty sure <laughs> I, I would shit myself in the plane i would reshit myself mm-hmm. on the strut and then i would probably just periodically uh continue to shit <laughs> as i fell through the sky six thousand feet uh, it was. It, it ended up being totally fantastic. I mean, you do definitely at first feel like. I mean, it's got to um, be a complete. I mean, I am just thinking it must be. You think about like waterboarding, and what makes waterboarding so awful is that it's it's forcing you into this situation that your body they they are capitalizing on something that your body does like autonomically, which is right. to try and stop you from from choking and they can emulate the feeling of drowning in a very controlled way which is horrifying right. and it seems like every instinct you're, you've never experienced anything like a free fall that ended with anything but horrible injuries seems right. like every second of the way at least at first you your your body would just be your body and your mind would just be reeling with like what to do yeah except well, just fall i guess and then when you're under the parachute you keep your your, your instinct is like i say to to like get back on you're kind of like bicycling <laughs> you're like i'm now i'm hanging and i would now like i'm hanging by a by a harness and i would like to get back on the chair that i fell off of mm-hmm. i would like to get back up on the thing that i left behind and then you you look, you look up and you see this little insect of a plane which is now miles away and you're like all oh, right there's no getting back on so now here i am what i'm on is this parachute <sighs> But and it was great. They didn't do. They didn't give you any training for the parachute. But it was one of those parachutes that had uh, that was maneuverable, right? It had handles on both, you know, uh, ropes on either side that you could pull and and make the thing turn. So it was and kind that of actually works. It's an it's amazing. It's like a little plane. The problem being that the more maneuvering you do, the faster you descend. So I was really enjoying being up in the sky. Oh, because you're slightly compromising the canopiness of it in order to right. steer. Right. The, and, that, the, and then you drop. 
Then you drop. Oh. You drop to give yourself, you know, to carve turns or whatever, but but it's oh, a faster gosh. descent. So I didn't so you have to balance the amount of goofing around you want to do with the amount of time that you want to spend in this extraordinary state, which is like yeah, flying it's as close as I've come to to flight, right? Extended flight, because there's no sound. Wow! Just you're just up there, fla- fl- you know. You hear some flapping fabric. How long then- do you do you know how long it took to get from the plane to the ground? No, but it was a but it was uh, what, five minutes. Well, let's see. It probably wasn't six thousand feet either. It was probably four thousand feet, and I mean, it lasted a couple of minutes, but it, they were peak minutes. Or yeah. five minutes, maybe. I mean, I don't. Who knows? I was, and then how do you land? I mean, isn't rolling a thing? Well, so then as you come in for a landing, you you pull down on both sides of the of the rope, and it kind of stall you, you like oh, it I stalls see. you. And I made a pinpoint landing right on the circle and stayed on my feet. Didn't you're kidding? It's, no, it's not like uh, it's not like World War Two where you land and maybe break your leg. Like, well, because they I, need to fall fast. Right, they isn't part of the idea, and in, in, when you're dropping troops into Normandy, like you need to get them out of the sky as fast as possible. Get them out of the sky, and also those parachutes were not maneuverable, so you were falling at a steady rate, and you had no control over how fast or how you know you, or how to steer. You just were those parachutes were just going to drop you where they were going to drop you, <sighs> and that's why all those guys ended up in trees or hanging from. From church well, that's steeples. what the whole program. They ended up going to a, and landing in a whole different town and then having to catch back up, right? They had to catch back up, and that was... They got to use their know, whistles? And half of them didn't have their guns. Mm. And their clickers? Click, 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 click. Clickers. That's then not whistles, clickers. Yeah. Uh, so, but these po- modern parachutes, and I'm sure that modern uh, parachutists, right, special uh, infantry guys, I'm sure they have some control over their parachutes. Airborne, yeah. Although, I'm not sure... If every one of the if you dropped four hundred guys out of the back of an airplane and every one of them could steer his parachute, uh-huh. I think yeah, that would be a clusterfuck, right? Because every every single guy would be like, "Oh, I want to go over here," and then they'd all get <laughs> tangled. Up like asking kids where they want to go to dinner. Yeah, exactly. It would be it would be like a um, it would be like a petri dish of sperm or something. <laughs> so you made it, and how did she do? Did she jump? She jumped. She did great. She was very much like, you know, she, she maintained total confidence throughout the whole thing. And then at the end of the day, on the drive back, we had some kind of fight, some kind of argument in the car. I don't remember what it was about, but it was clear that that was our last date. Mm. Jumping out of the airplane was our last date because... because it just wasn't going to work out. It felt like it felt like uh, in a, in a way it's better that we went parachuting to try and save our relationship than um, having a baby. But it was one of those like, all right, well let's you I know, maybe seems easier. <laughs> let's go, uh, let's go jump out of an airplane and see if that like bonds us. And in fact, what it did was it just it just uh, it's it broke us apart. Mm. And then later that summer. I was down in Seattle's like ritzy neighborhood, walking past a kind of a ritzy French restaurant with an out with outdoor seating, and she jumped up and she was like, "John, hey, I want you to meet my fiance." And he was some really preppy, rich, feeling, rich smelling guy, 
And that was during a, that summer was kind of the phase. I was going through a phase there where I was like, what am I? Am I, am I like a grunge loser or am I like a straight guy who should get a, a banking job? Like, you know, cause well, I'm I've so got, glad you finally settled that self doubt. Yeah. Thank realized you. Realized <laughs> who you are, what you mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. It was more, it was worth it to get through that. It was. That was a tough time. I'm it's, glad it's it was so just that summer. It's so awkward when you first meet an ex. <laughs> yeah, well, and the thing was, I didn't, you know, I was just like, oh, I'm, good luck to both of you. Like, hooray for you. And I just, I felt like, right, yes, I am not, at least that whole part of college where you're in college and you're kind of looking for your mate and then you're going to go off on your life's path together. I'm not sure whether I... This is one of those big questions. Did I decide through trial and error? Did I learn <laughs> trial and error decide you? <laughs> exactly. Did I learn that that was not who I was, or did I, it end up that I was that wasn't who I was? Because it never very, worked out. And the worst part is when you think you know and you're probably wrong. I mean, my um, my wife and I met. When we were both on the rebound from a a long. Each each of us had been in a long, serious relationship. And so, of course, you know, you, you, when you're kind of bonding quickly in this new relationship, you talk a lot about the other person. And I don't I think we've been together maybe a week, <clears throat> a week or so, when uh, we we're walking past a coffee shop and she goes, oh, there's him. That's him. <gasps> Whoa. One was, week. Yeah, yeah. And But what was funny was I felt like I felt like Woody Allen in uh, in Annie Hall, like when, when he meets Wallace Shawn. Like, you know, where Annie used to talk so much about this, this ex of hers, it might've been Manhattan. And he's like, I wasn't wasn't expecting this little homunculus of a man. (laughs) She made this guy sound so, so like virile. He was a really nice guy, but you know, but it's, it's so uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. I hate that feeling. Well, and then you decided to get married, you guys. Yeah. Eventually. Yeah. Yeah. See, I never, I never decided that. Yeah. I I I wonder what that would be like. You probably have to, to make. You probably have to, to change the house a little bit. Yep. But then you know, I would have said that for having a kid too. And you probably did some basic baby proofing, or maybe not. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. Uh, put the poisons on a higher shelf. But she's still free to go look at the Braille Playboys. Absolutely. <laughs> How's she going to get an education otherwise? How's she going to learn Braille? Find out which uh, Fisher stereo system to buy. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I I. I all of that college experimentation, I feel like a lot of a lot of people they they can look back at their college experimentation and feel like it was part of a project that delivered them somewhere. Like it, that ulti- they can they can impose a structure or a plan on it in retrospect. Oh yeah, but oh, I yeah, cannot- that, that's when you're still that's when you're still young enough to think things happen for a reason. Yeah, and uh, the problem uh, the problem is that none of that. It, for me, ever seemed to add up to a path. There yeah. was there was all this college experimentation, and it was just like different. It was different, uh, um, different little little nobules inside of a lung. I was just building like a lung architecture. You were building a lung. <laughs> I was building a lung of experience, an existential lung. <clears throat> Yeah, it was sort of lung-shaped. 
just the one? <laughs> a lung a lung shaped experience. But what it turned out was that I didn't even need a lung. I was mm. building a lung. I, I was having lung shaped experiences, and what I needed was a different kind of organ. I needed a liver, or maybe I wasn't even. Bioengineering. Maybe a liver. You know, the, the other the other thing is that you know sometimes just because the pattern looks like a lung, it doesn't mean it's a lung. <laughs> well, so okay, that's true too. No, it's, that's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying like that's to be to finally get to our age where you are really broken by life and and you stop seeing those patterns. You know, you don't you don't realize at the time how chaotic and misshapen your life is and how much like at least for me like how much i was always reacting to something that had happened in the past i don't want to make this about uh-huh. scientology uh-huh. but on some level i always felt like ah i'm fixing this thing about life mm-hmm. and then of course i was you know kind of unfixing fifty thousand other things at the same time and there's no there's not really any pattern to it except that you stayed alive and isn't that weird that's, yeah. that's kind of where i end up it's like eh, you didn't die that's you, you know, <laughs> if you get try to take too many lessons out of life, you turn into a crazy person. You didn't die. You didn't die. I mean, and ultimately, I guess what a lung architecture is 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 fractals. Mm. And nobules. So, the nobules are, are fractal. They're like miniature lungs inside the lungs, re-replicating. That's right. I think that's true. I think if you get down inside of a lung and you get really microscopic on yeah. it, it's just a it's a forest it's lung, of lungs. It's lungs all the way down. <laughs> it's lungs all the way down. And what I was building was a was a frac <laughs> was like fractal lung. Uh, and, and, and what I needed was a different, or maybe I didn't, maybe the need is the wrong word. If there's anything you take away from the show today, please just let it be this. Make sure that you're actually building an organ. You may not be building an organ. You may not even need to build an organ, but if you're going to build an organ, understand the organ that's being built. And, yeah. and you might need two of them. So you're all, you're probably never going to get that project finished. That's right. If you get down inside of a heart, I don't think it's hearts all the way down. Oh, no, no, no. No, right? hearts are made of ugly things. Right. Not nobules. No, hearts are made of valves. Mm. In, out, in, out. Hearts are made of valves. So are car motors. Is that right? Yeah. But the, uh, an engine doesn't beat. Um, uh, I guess it, it beats thr- in its way because it's got yeah. the cylinders. It throbs. The cylinders it, move kind of like the, uh, what do you got? You got, you got the arteries and the ventricles? Is that what it's called? Mm, what are they called? Ventricles. You got four chambers, right? That's right. Hmm. Aortas. Is that right? Am I saying the right words? I honestly don't remember any of this. Uh, there are a lot of scientists listening to the program who yes. have the answer readily at hand. You think? But I feel like I feel like aortas. An aorta is the main uh, vein. Here's the right? difference between us <laughs> and drain, you. Is, drain the is, main vein. Here's the difference between us and you, listener, is that we're just <laughs> saying words and you're listening to this while you're looking at Wikipedia. That's the difference. That's how much smarter you are is that you're looking at Wikipedia and we're not. Corpuscles. No, no, isn't that what makes bruises? When you pop a what, what is it? When you pop a valve? When you pop a what is it? Pop, what's a bruise yeah, made pop, of? Pop a corpuscle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I think that I think a corpuscle is what sticks onto the outside of a boat. Yeah, yeah, it's like a cow catcher for yeah. a heart. <laughs> this episode of Roderick on the Line is sponsored by Need. Need is a refined retailer and lifestyle publication for men. Each month, Need sources and curates a selection of exclusive products from brands around the world. They're presented in a monthly editorial, a lot like what you'd expect from a typical men's magazine, allowing you to find the best products without the need for copious shopping or research. Now, Need has just launched Volume 2.2, 
featuring items to help you make small, meaningful changes in your life. From amazing coffee to better shaving to the best bedside clock, Volume 2.2 is their best collection yet. And if that's not a good fit, Neat also just launched seven brand new essentials collections featuring the best denim, footwear, and more. Now, here's the cool thing. Roderick on the line listeners who place an order with Need can send an email to hello at neededition.com with the subject line, all the great clothes, and you'll receive a free bag of freshly roasted coffee, unless you're some kind of an animal who doesn't like coffee and they'll send you a magazine. But uh, hey, you also get 25% off your next order with Need. So please, friends, visit neededition.com and neededition.com slash essentials. Our thanks to Need for civilizing the modern man and for supporting Roderick on the line. Um, do you think of yourself as a member of the tech community? I used to. Very much so. Um, now it's, um, I would consider myself a secondary or tertiary member by other people, maybe. I don't, of I a, used to think of myself, I used to consider myself, as you know, a seasoned technologist. Mm-hmm. And now I, I don't think that at all. I'm, cause Are, he's, cause there's, you know, you know, just to answer the question quickly, like it's, there's kind of, mm, there's many kinds of people, but, but one way, one way to break down how much of a tech person you are, I think, is how much you are into the technology mm, kind of for its own sake versus the uh, 50 million uh, other reasons. And like I am increasingly perplexed by the people who are genuinely interested in things like chip speeds. Because I, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be disparaging, but there's a time I used to think I was a tech person, but I think I've always been a little bit of a content person. Oh, I see content. Content, I hate that word. Uh, when I look at pictures of you when you were in college, with your, with your, um, I look like a pan man then for sure. With your with your dread pirate Roberts mustache, <laughs> you know, there's three people I used to be compared to in terms of looks. This is it's so implausible now. But Carrie Elway's, um, Michael Michael Palin, mm. and and who was the other one? But that that people used to think I looked like Carrie Elway's. Carrie Elway's, like on my best day, I looked a little like Carrie Elway's. I, I feel like I feel like you're, you're back. Sorry, sorry <laughs> if I just spoiled Princess Bride for you. <laughs> back when you were when you were a smiler. Oh, you know, yeah. back when you were a young guy and you were in the New York City subways in your in your grin. army jacket with your big shit eating grin on. Oh, well, I got it all your, figured out. And your little blonde mustache, you were very Carrie Elways. Mm-hmm. Um, but that hair. Oof. At that point in your life, did you feel like you were a member of a community? Yes. What was the community? I feel like at that time I was a member of a few I mean, the thing is, 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 I can't help but think of it this this one way, which is like, when you ask this question, so it's a really interesting question, the technology one too, is like, my first thought is, do I consider myself a member of that community? But conversely, does that community consider me part of that community? Right. Which I think is a pretty different kind of thing. But no, at that time, I was really, I felt, I'm, I went to a very small school and I had a lot of friends. So mm-hmm. I... I you know, I, I was in. I felt very connected to several music type communities. Right, you were a member of the Dead Milkmen fan club. That's right. And they considered you an, a member in good standing. I saw them live in Tampa. Hi, Dean. Mm-hmm. Uh, back in the day, mm-hmm. I, saw, I saw Dred Zeppelin, same venue. What? So I, I used to love going to see Dred Zeppelin. Oh, they were right. Oh, the fun times. Uh, we had some times, didn't we? But yeah. uh, and then the other ones were like just the the not stony because I think I like I don't like think of myself as like a like a stoner dummy but i was very interested in things like church of the subgenius mm-hmm. um just what would become the super annoying like research magazine culture like i did consider myself like part of, i was very interested i was interested in extremity 
I was interested in Walter Hudson, the the, the heaviest man in the world. I could, I could still tell you what he ate for ate for uh, lunch every day. Four Big Macs, four double cheeseburgers, eight large orders of fries, and a quart of Coke. Wow. He weighed 1,400 pounds. And so these kinds of things attracted me. And partly it was stony stuff. But like I was just very interested in extremity. And of course, I was a cheerful paranoiac uh, being a, uh, a half-assed Marxist post-Marxist, right. I right. was very interested in, in all things paranoiac, not strictly conspiratorial, but very much like how hegemony was, you know, sometimes deliberately being used to manipulate us. Right. And that was a, that right there. That was a huge part of college for me. So yeah, I thought I was part of all of those communities. It seems and like I, you don't, you never consider yourself too much of a community guy. I, well, you know, I was members of, I was a member of a lot of different communities that didn't interact with each other. And I felt, I felt a kinship with that community that you're describing. Um, and, you know, and I thought, and, and before there was a term for it, before that was called alternative culture, it just seemed like all of those different things were sort of swirling around in, on the punk rock side of culture, right? That was like... No, it I was, wasn't going to say it, but basically the, the big Venn diagram, there's many, many circles, but almost all of them have at least 70% of their circle inside of punk rock. For me. Inside of punk rock, right. And when, when They Might Be Giants first arrived on the scene, they were clearly coming out of that culture, right? They kind of embodied uh, a sort of, uh, like, you never knew what punk rock was going to produce next, and it was like, oh, now it's now it's producing this, or I mean, it, you know, it was there was the, there was a there was a an excitement about weirdness, an excitement about extremity. There, it was yeah, unclear. I mean, like, but like D- DIY for sure, right, right. Um, and what she could you could shade that into something like independence, but if not strictly anti-authoritarian, very skeptical of people with the answers and a method for implementing it. I saw. I was driving here today, and I saw a poster for a band on a phone pole, and it was using sort of Soviet typeface, Soviet font, like fake, fake Soviet. Yeah, uh, like the iconography. So maybe like the poster for the interview, like the, that that style. Right, except not not so. Not so watered down, like like in the style that we used to do, where it was like we didn't ha- actually have access to those typefaces, so we were kind of making them ourselves or whatever. And that that referencing um, referencing the Soviet Union in a way that was like, or or referencing sort of communist totalitarianism in a way that was maybe a little admiring, but not completely, not completely well, certain. No, but I, I totally know what you mean. It's like weirdly tongue in cheek. Like one thing mm-hmm. my wife and I bonded on early is we both really like Maoist propaganda art. I, I mean, it's endlessly <laughs> it's interesting. It's, it's unbelievably gorgeous, especially given that it's about the cultural revolution or the great leap forward. And so looking at these, especially even in the seventies, it got, where it got much more almost like Norman Rockwell, like almost photo real. But what's funny is like, you know, it isn't so much that you're saying, oh, rah, rah, uh, communism. What you're saying, dude, is that, oh, how different is Stalin from Reagan? Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was a response to Reaganism. Yep. And some of that Maoist art makes for some of the best Rule 34 porn, (laughs) if you're interested in searching for that. Uh, I had no idea. Because what you take still those, working on that leather luggage strap. 
if you take that hyper realistic but cartoony Chinese uh, like revolution art and yeah. you and you make it into porn, oh, it's top shelf. Huh? Top shelf. If you're if you're into like, I don't think anime. of China as a nexus for porn. I don't. There's think, a lot of Japanese porn, John. I don't think that it's the Chinese that are making the porn out of it. I think mm. it, I think that's being oh, off- offshored, offshored a little bit. Yeah, they're out, out, outsourcing. Yeah. Anyway, I always felt a kinship with that culture, but I never thought of myself as a member of it because then I would leave that party, and I would go across town to the party where everybody was wearing that first generation of Patagonia fleece jacket. Yeah. And they were all talking about. Uh, waxing their boards and i felt also wow, so that, that, was, that this is before it became the npr look this is this is back when people were actually wearing it to stay warm outside well when that was like when that was technical gear yeah worn you know that 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 first generation or second generation of patagonia north face was all meant f- to just to be it was it hadn't become college kid clothes it was meant to be worn when you're Getting some fucking bodacious there air. There was a time <laughs> when you could count on this gear. You're hanging, hanging by a thread. You're hanging by a thread. <laughs> Sorry. Um, and so I, you know, so I was a member of that community. It, 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 just as much the the people that were, um, you know, that were like living on their longboards. Uh, but I wasn't. I also wasn't a member of that community any more than I was a member of the research. But you were um, welcome to visit. Unsane community. I mean, I was welcome. I hope. I thought of myself as welcome everywhere, <laughs> uh, and I still do. And that's part of you know what I hope is considered my charm. I gotta write that down. But, um, but, <laughs> but you know, but and then also, I was. But it seems like at certain points in your life, and I've certainly been this been this person too. Where you arrive somewhere and you're pretty sure that, at the very least, the party has now officially started. Now that That's you're there. right. But then maybe a. it's everything but in name, like a tribute to you. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's not quite a birthday party or a roast, but like you are always the guest of honor wherever you I, go. <laughs> I feel like. I used to I be feel, like that. I feel like I absolutely, uh, for a long time, <laughs> would maybe even walk in the door and say, it is, it is started. Who wants coffee? <laughs> it is fucking started. Where is the canned ravioli? <laughs> Let's get it out. Until I saw, until I met my match, with, uh, a guy I used to know, who uh, I was standing in the kitchen with him at a party, and he was like, this fucking party's boring. And I was like, yeah, sort of. And he reached over into the cupboard and pulled out uh, like an industrial size like gallon of honey. And I was oh, like, no, this is not going to end well. I was like, what's going to happen now? He just grabbed the honey and he opened the honey up and poured it on his own head. Oh, dear. A gallon of honey in the center of the kitchen. Oh. And it was like, well, the party just got really interesting. And I'm glad I'm not the guy covered in honey. Mm-hmm. Like this guy, this guy took one for the team. He, he made, he made the who's party. That gonna happen. Be, who's that going to be good for, including him? It wasn't good for anybody. And now he's, okay, now he's covered with honey at a party. Yeah, it wasn't good for the for the the homeowners. No, uh, it's a but lot it of was honey. The, the the fifteen of us who were standing around and watched it happen. It was unforgettable. It yeah. really, you know, like well, I mean, how he could have taken a night. shit on the floor too. That would have been memorable. It was basically it was a sh- he, he basically took a sweet shit on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it took it took the party to another level, and I'm uh-huh. still talking about it 25 years later. Mm-hmm. But uh, but you know, I also was a member of the like I was doing improv then. 
uh, like theater sports, and oh, all I of think, I don't think I knew that. All of those people in my theater sports troupe were completely off the off of whatever your normal reservation would be, right? Yeah. I mean, a lot of them were religious. A lot of the people at that time that I knew in theater, improv, and that kind of stuff, I, again, this is just anecdotal, but a number of the people I knew who were into that were into it. Like, you know, there's the people who read the Keith Johnstone book and skip the section on masks, and then there's people who really, really read the section on masks. Like, I'm more like, the I want to make, uh, I want to be the Del Close guy, I want to go be the Upright Citizens Brigade guy, and they're more into, like, no, like, this goes deeply into something about my mind and my psyche. And I, the people I knew in theater in, in the late 80s were very, also very into things like psychoanalysis and, like, having uncomfortable, the, their kind of improv was more like they come in your house and ask you the most uncomfortable thing in the world. Which seems like kind of your, your deal, too. Uh, that is, You're I, really that, good at that. A little bit of that. A little bit of that. Hey, I came... used to introduce you to people and mm-hmm. say, this is, this is John. Be careful, because in the next couple of minutes, he's going to try and find the thing you don't want him to know about that's most going to make you cry. <laughs> it's just not just, just so you know. You can't prevent it. It's, it's going to happen. I well, just want you thing, to know what's coming. The, the, the key was that I don't try. It just is there. The thing that they're the thing that they least want other people to know about is just there on their it's face. Written, it's written on their face to you. I, and and I wish that I did not have that 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 uh, that ability to see. I wish I did not have that sight. <laughs> I wish I could blind that eye uh, because it it's it, it often is not a friend. That's interesting, though. That that is all very interesting uh, overlap. Yeah, right. And 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 my theater sports troupe, especially given that it was at a Jesuit college, had a lot of those people and all of that psychoanalysis and all of that like hyper thinkiness was tied up in their 20-year-old wrestling with their religion. You know, they were have they were they were a lot of them deeply catholic and Really, really engaging their Catholicism hmm. through these, uh, you know, or, or, like going into uh, going into uh, psychoanalysis with Catholicism as your guide. Uh, oh it's a he- God! It's a heavy oh. trip. That's a lot of doors I wouldn't want to open. It's a heavy trip, and the thing about the Jesuits and Jesuit schools is that that. Half of obviously have we've talked about this before. Half of the population are just jocks who are going to own Pontiac dealerships, and they're headed. You know that's just where they go. Right. For it's for rich kids, but half of the people are true intellectuals and Catholicism with that intellectual tradition. God, it gets so tangled up in people, and they uh, uh, the conversations that we would have and the and the journeys we would go on because you know it's theater sports or, or improv, so we would go on retreats together we were how do you rehearse improv right you just do it over and over and you just get inside one another's minds well it's it's more like rehearsing tennis yeah right 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 and we would we would you know i would leave my like stoner metal party and be like and the thing was i i I never revealed any one of my groups i never revealed my membership in these groups to one another, right? I never tried to bring friends from one place and take them to another place. So I'd be, I'd be like stoner metal land. And then I'd be like, all right, you guys see you later. I'll fucking got to get it going bros. And then I would like shake it off, get outside in the cold air, take a deep breath, shake it off, walk across town. And then, you know, into some, uh, 
brightly lit lunchroom where all these like super earnest intellectual Catholic kids were doing theater sports and be like, hey, guys, wow. you know, get, give me, okay, give me an animal. All right, great. <laughs> give me a, give me a U.S. Theater sports state. was like of those, all of the various genres, all the different kung fu schools of improv. I feel like theater sports was really, was more serious. I mean, they all like to think they're serious and like Del Close, you know, famously said, you know, you want to go for the, like what's real in this in the, in the moment, not don't go for the funny. And I, I memory serves theater sports takes that to kind of an extreme. It really does. You're not and supposed to be funny. Don't do bits. No. And the people that, the people that would come into the, come try out for our group who were like, wacka, wacka, wacka. It was like, nope. <laughs> we were. We were all like really trying to go every time. They're like every- cults, though. They're like <laughs> my 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 um my niece is uh does uh, UCB in New York, and like you you come in and like you you pay to take class, and they're great. UCB is great. I mean, no question. Please don't hurt my family. But like you come in and you you pay fees to take classes, and pretty soon you're teaching classes, and it's kind of like Arthur Murray. It's not yes. a, it's not a pyramid scheme. Uh, it's an inverted comedy uh, pyramid uh, well- triangle. And this is what happened to me. Like after the first year, our theater sports group was really, really popular in Spokane because there wasn't a lot going on in Spokane. And people were, I mean, we were selling out sort of the big theater at the college and selling tickets to the, to the town, not just to the college. And the guy who came into town who was 24 and started this theater sports group. Was it called the- Guts when you were there? It was called Guts. Look at that. Gonzaga University Theater Sports. That's right. Wow. Um, he started, we, and uh, so I was in that first year of Guts. And then he, this 24-year-old guy, and I think he was from Canada, we had a meeting at the end of the year, and we were all just so thrilled with ourselves. And he was like, I have to tell you that now that Guts is going, now that, now that, I have, now that this project is off and and is flying on its own i'm leaving you and going on to the next place and starting hmm. another theater sports somewhere else and i'm leaving you here to to grow a kind of johnny appleseed lone ranger character that's right and we were all like what no don't i mean because we were terrified of of changing any one element of it mm-hmm. sure because it was working and it and we were all getting somewhere you know and uh, and so he said, so he he appointed me his successor as like leader of guts for for the second season, and right away I became a monster, <laughs> like immediately, <clears throat> I. I uh, he had you mean like this, like a despot? In a way, in a way, I became a despot because he had the he had this sort of that beautiful thing which I which I am always trying to which I'm very attracted to in other people and which I'm always trying to discover the secret of which is this um, this open friendly attitude and a feeling where people are doing they're. You know, they're doing hard work, but they but they don't resent the work because every time they look over at you, you are smiling. 
mm-hmm. specifically at them. And that takes a certain kind of personality. Very few people can do that authentically. Yeah, it really does take a certain personality, and it is a kind of magic. And we, he somehow managed to keep that initial group of people that started this theater sports group. Uh, he kept out. He kept people out of it as much as he kept us together. Like part of keeping us together was that he curated it. Oh, uh, that's interesting. But it's like it's like that- having a small company, right? If you got to spend all that time with these people, that chemistry and ability to not necessarily get along, but be able to work together is yeah. is important to maintain. Yeah, and it's there culture. was a lot. It's of- a little culture. There was a lot of love between us, and there were people. There were inner competitions. There were definitely people that were um, that had rivalries, but it also had a real family vibe. And in that second year, it seemed that the mandate that had been handed me was now open it up and make it bigger and invite everyone in, and and turn it into something you know to spread the love or whatever. <laughs> he was Steve Jobs, and you were uh, John Scully. <laughs> Right. I think that's and a technical I, reference. And I did the John I did the John Scully thing, which was I I ran it into the ground or tried to. <laughs> and uh and 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 I I didn't, you know, we we started having auditions for for to 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 bring new people in. And because it was successful, it attracted all the attention starved. <laughs> I see you as Michael Douglas in a chorus line. <laughs> sitting there just the shadowy figure with curls of smoke around his head, and everybody's just, God, I hope I get it. I hope I well, get it. God, I hope I get who, it. That's who I thought of myself as, but the problem was... the <laughs> problem was choppers? That, well, we had... Because we were such an egalitarian group before, that, that our leader had been this outsider, this guy with a mustache who came from Canada, and... And he was he was one of these people with a big smile who just sort of made you feel like it was your idea, but kept the thing on the rails. And all of a sudden, I was sitting in the back of the room with a beret shrouded in cigarette smoke going, next, next. And these people Dance were coming out. Dance looks like, three. <laughs> I want to I be in theater sports. I've, oh, I was meant for the stage. And it's like, next. And the other, the other people in my original group were... They didn't. They they felt like what I was doing was not in the spirit of of the magic, and I was like, I'm trying to preserve the magic by keeping all these dorks out of our out of our special place. And they were like, No, we need to have we need to invite everyone in. And so I was like, All right, well, fine. Then well, how about these six guys? They seemed like you know they could join the group or whatever. And they were like, Yay! And then those six people just like came in and. And we're doing jazz hands all over the place. And I was like, no, jazz hands, no. And ev- eventually, let us just cut to the chase. Eventually, I was deposed. There was a... There oh, was, was a, a coup? There was a coup. I arrived at a meeting that was that had obviously already been going on. I bet, I bet you're on. really good at knowing when you're walking into an intervention. <laughs> I bet over the years, you've gotten really good at that. Yeah, but at the oh, time... Oh, I know what's going to happen now. At the time, I, I had not ha- I had not had so many uh, interventions yet, and I walked into the room and I was like, "Huh, everybody's here already." Hmm, and it seems like everybody's 
Oh, now, you know, I walked in and of course the conversation stopped and everybody turned and looked at me and I was like, oh, I Yoko, see where this Yoko is going. Yoko Ono sitting in your chair. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, it was, I was given that, I was given that choice. We would like you to just be, just be a member of the troop again. Oh boy. And not be our fearless leader. Oh. And you're, the you're leader. Like the American apparel guy. <laughs> <laughs> the, it's time the, for you. Time for you to go, buddy. <laughs> time for you to go. But the and so the leadership is going to switch over into a democratic form, where there are going to be four leaders. Oh, what could possibly go wrong? And I was like, I would rather burn. Mm. I would rather burn. I would rather burn this theater with all of us in it <laughs> than, than be a member of this garbage. This garbage arrangement. And so I stormed out. I ran out into the snow. And some and one of the girls chased me for chased me out into the field. Shane! Shane! And I think she I said, met one I need a job. What's an give me an <laughs> occupation? Okay, pizza. <laughs> At one point I might have even tripped in the snow. Oh, and, John. And, and I fell in the snow. And <laughs> yes, she, and? <laughs> and she <laughs> She came and and tried to console me. It was all very dramatic, but we were we were artists. We yes. were we were theater artists. And then um then I stayed away. And then the final show of the season of Guts year 2. I watched the show from high up in the rafters above the Above like the Phantom the, of the Opera. Like the Phantom of the Opera. Exactly like the Phantom of the Opera. And at one point during during a scene, the girl who had chased me out into the snow, my love interest on Guts, hmm. was doing was doing a scene and somebody said, you know, like <laughs> give me an animal and it was like an eagle. And she looked up and you know pointed up in the middle of her, of a scene and like <laughs> there goes the eagle and she pointed at me and then she saw me oh no she <sighs> saw me hanging up in the ropes yes and and she looked and she made eye contact with me and big smile and I smiled down to her from five feet five stories up and it was just like mm-hmm. <sighs> my life really is a movie <laughs> <laughs> you slunk back to your organ room. <laughs> <laughs> I, and I, rolled, I, I, I rolled a sweet J up yeah. in the rafter, and I was like, "I'm I'm a member of no group." Everybody's a- talking at me. <laughs> <laughs> There's um, I don't know. I'm just thinking of this now, but um, I, don't know, I saw something a few weeks ago. Turns out, uh, this story about where cliques are more likely to form and where they're not likely to form and the turns out part being that there aren't nearly as many cliques in like high schools as people would have you believe and it changes on this based on the size of the high school but you know i have to say there's this part of me that feels like so much of my idea this is so obvious and so dumb but it's so much of what i think something like high school was supposed to look like i think was kind of largely based on john hughes movies or things you know the things the movies that became the, the preceded it you know, that they're really, or even, you know, shoot, reading The Outsiders or whatever. But I really got this idea of the different groups. And the thing is, when you look back in retrospect, there's a lot more subtle, subtlety to it than you realized at the time. 
You know, and that's why it's again like a show like Freaks and Geeks really captures that. Really captures the idea that no, you you may be striving to have these cooler friends, but you still got your less cool friends, and and that that even that can change. Like suddenly your friend gets a growth spurt and becomes a sports star or something. There's all these ways where it's much more fluid than I remember it seeming at the time. It all felt very carved in stone. And mm-hmm. in retrospect, I realized what a, what a clusterfuck the whole thing was for everybody. Well, and. Uh, do, you know, do you know what I'm saying? That does that make sense? Absolutely, absolutely. And and in in high school, my my high school experience was 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 very John Hughesy. My college experience was where I got I got very confused, and and I and I really didn't understand where I belonged. And in fact, the college friends that I have still the the, the people I knew in college that are are still friends of mine were the guys that. I, um, that I wasn't friends with in college, really, or or was it, it was it was a it was very fraught. That, you know, I, because it, because I was in school in Spokane, there was a whole component of the people that came to that school who were from Montana and North Dakota and Idaho, hmm. um, <clears throat> who were mostly Catholics, all Catholics, um, and. By Alaskan standards, they were they were clearly wild kids, right? They were from these towns, these tiny western towns, where you would drive for seven hours to get to Billings. <laughs> like, oh, we gotta go. You know, we need a new part for the tractor. Well, we got everybody in the truck and <clears throat> throw a couple of hay bales in the back for the kids. And then we're going to drive for seven hours to get to Billings. I mean, that will do a job on you as a kid for sure. And, you know, it's one, these one, one horse towns, right? Like a, a, a Western town with a main street. I mean, see, I mean, you have such different expectations and such different, um, what's the word I'm looking for? But it's like if you you know I remember the, the first, you know, first several times I went to Manhattan immediately experiencing experiencing having that feeling of uh i fucking hate that word experience um, i experienced something oh, that, that has to that, kill it with fire stop saying that uh, um anyway i was heavily impacted <laughs> by, by that feeling of uh, option anxiety like we open up the village voice and you know whereas in, in back in florida you'd plan ahead you know about what band you would see three weeks from now and you open up a paper and like just in the village voice, like just within walking distance of where you are, there's like 10 of your favorite bands playing. Right. And, and the, the result of that is, if you're like me, is you just go, Ugh, I'll, just, yeah. I'll just sit here and sit here and watch <laughs> Golden Girls or whatever. Right. Your brain turns to mush. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I wonder if it's like people did that really, that must have really felt like the big city for somebody who was used to driving to Billings. <clears throat> so I went back with, so anyway, these guys, I thought of them as the Montana boys and they all had gray cowboy boots they all sort of dipped snuff mm-hmm. at 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 a, at a distance you would think that they were just hicks just ignorant dummies but then you would meet them and you realize like oh shit this is this kid is the smartest kid from his town he is the kid from whatever town that got to Spokane to go to college and these I mean, kids he, are, he achieved not not to be unkind, but he achieved escape velocity in a way that must seem impossible to a lot of other people. Yeah, astonishing. And so these guys were wise, and they were 
uh, they were sharp. In probably, a way. probably somewhat grateful. Uh, yeah, well, and also, but also, like, again, coming from a pretty religious background and from a very small, initially very small world, in which Spokane was like a big, big world. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so there was a lot of culture clash between us initially, because even coming from Alaska, I was much more worldly. And honestly, their initial uh, take on me was that I was a fag, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you know, I showed up in school and I was like, hey, everybody, come on, let's go, wee! And I was wearing a bow tie or whatever, and they were just like, no, thank you. Mm. This guy is a queer. Mm-hmm. And it was only through... You know, it was only through my willingness to throw myself through a plate glass window over time that they were like, huh, he's a pretty rowdy queer. And I was like, that's right. <laughs> rowdy queer. That is pretty much. You got that right, cowboy. That's my fucking, that's my drag name. Rowdy Watch my queer. my spin. <laughs> and so it, it ends up now that we're really good. I'm still really good buddies with those guys because, because our relationship evolved over time in a way that they had a lot of suspicion about me and I had a ton of I thought I knew I thought I knew them too. I thought that they were just hick Republican uh, right, 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 right. You know, nobodies. And now I, I I like they're the ones that I still am am close with. And I had that I had that weird time. At one point during college we went I went on a road trip with these guys to Sun Valley, a car full of the Montana boys. And they were bringing me along kind of like like a mascot yeah like hey we're gonna guess what we're all going to sun valley and we're taking the queer (laughs) what's what could happen anything could happen we got to sun valley one of these guys had an uncle who lived in sun valley who took us into his house he's one of these guys walks around the house smoking a cigar took us into the house and he had a walk-in safe full of machine guns He was like, you guys want to see my guns? And I was like, yes! And he wa- we walked through the bedroom, and there's a vault. Like, a, a, a fucking vault. And the door opens, and you can walk in. It's, and not, it was it's like, not just a, a heavy locked door. It's like a solid, it's a room, an impenetrable room. It's basically a... a, a like a, a bank a, vault. A bank vault, or, or what, a panic room. Yeah. But it's, it ha- there's an arsenal in there. And that Jeez. was just the one, that was just the one, that was just the aspect of his house that he was willing to show his nephew's college friends. Like, <laughs> Can you imagine guy. what you didn't see? <laughs> but uh, as part of this road trip, we went to, we went to Butte, Montana, which, um, which you could charitably describe as the asshole of the universe. Hmm. Right? I mean, it's pretty bad there. I bet Richard Hugo liked it. <laughs> hey, I'm sure he did. I think he did. <laughs> That's a uh, Richard Hugo uh, reference. My second favorite American poet. <laughs> at, at, at one minute exactly, or one hour exactly, uh, a Richard Hugo. Now on, when, I'm, when I want to let you know it's about an hour, so don't start talking about politics, I'll mention Richard Hugo. Okay. All right. That'll be our code. So anyway, you, you, got, the, you got the gun safe. You're, oh, the, so, you're the mascot. So we go, we go to Butte, and we go to visit one of these guys' house in Butte. And a lot of them were from Butte, which, you know, it's not, not I wouldn't call it a big town, but it's a big town in, in that part of, of mm-hmm. Montana. Anyway, this kid was from one of the best families in Butte. And their home was a beautiful home, like with columns. Uh, Columns, like stone columns. 
And so it like old money. Old money, right? Gracious living room uh uh, and and a very and the family very elegant family, and like the, maybe there was silver money there, and yet this gracious home, which in San Francisco would be a forty million dollar home, is two blocks from the Berkeley Pit in downtown Butte. Downtown Butte, which I still believe an enterprising software person could buy the entire town. Like the whole place just has a feeling of like uh, that a bomb went off in the center of the town, which it did in the form of that silver mine. And, and this contrast of like, Oh, this, this guy that I thought was just kind of a, like a Western town dingling is is from this incredible place, this like beautiful, this elegant, gracious family in a gracious home in a town of a few thousand people, really perched on the lip of the world. And I have no way of understanding where he's from, right? You mm-hmm. know, like mm-hmm. I, there's, there was no way for me to really get my head around. Just the contrasts, just the study and contrasts of that one kid's experience. Let, let alone that his uncle had a safe full of machine guns. But, you know, it's funny. Uh, yesterday um, I heard just a little bit of Jesse Thorne interviewing um, – uh, what's his name? Offerman. Uh, you know, Ron Swanson? What's uh, his name? Yeah, Keith. Keith. Keith? I don't think that's Keith. it. Keith Offerman? No. Keith. <laughs> that's the rest of the sports guy. But, you uh, know, I mean, Ron Swanson from... Kerf. Uh, Kerf. Uh, his name is uh, Ron Swanson. And he... Um, Nick Offerman. Gary. Gary. Nick Gary. He was, he was interviewing <laughs> Nick Gary, uh-huh. who's kind of famous. He's talking about how he's, you know, like there's has this rep for being... You know this this manly man guy, and yeah, he's he got was, the mustache, right? He's the one. Yeah, exactly. He looks like yeah. an angry cat, and he he. So he was raised in like r- rural ish, I guess, Illinois. And long story short, it's like you know, and everybody's talking. He's like, it's pretty funny to him because you know he, yes, he he does own and have employees to do woodworking like he actually does you know make furniture and stuff mm-hmm. and he is like a manly man but also like he's the only one in his family that went to school for theater and mm-hmm. took two semesters of ballet so you know it's the kind of thing where like i guess what i'm trying to say is that when, rowdy when I, queer you're huh? saying he's a rowdy queer <laughs> he's probably jumped through his share of plate glass windows <laughs> <clears throat> but i think part of it like and this just shows you how how reductive i am i guess but sometimes it seems like uh except for the most tolerable people in your life you will have like a one-bit description for almost everybody there'll be this mm-hmm. one one bit flips and you go like, oh he's a football jock or you know she's mm. a theater nerd or mm. you know he's he's a nerdy programmer or whatever and so <clears throat> most i think that's in order to survive you know with many many, many people around us like the older we get the more we're instantly making one bit decisions about people about going oh you fit in this box you fit in that box you fit in that box and there may be people where you get one bit plus a little bit of an axis where you go like oh like um you know he's he's a an act- I get it he's a manly man actor but he also has taken ballet haha isn't that interesting but i think what happens is when you get too much past that one bit thing especially with strangers you quickly go from i get you because you're in this box to you are weird 
And weird is when you don't understand what p- feels like a conflict about to, into your apprehension of somebody. Like if you look at John Roderick and go like, <clears throat> wow, he sure he he. He drinks a lot. He dresses like a preppy. He does theater sports. And he was really trying to, like, make it with this girl in a turquoise belt. Like, you know, that just makes you weird because there's not one narrative that runs through all of that apart from the fact that it was you. This isn't insightful, but I think Mm. that that, I think the, I feel like the way you get raised in most mainstream American culture is to quickly go from, oh, I get your one bit to like, oh, you're weird because I can't grok the multitudes within you. Yeah. Well, and that's why I ask, what, if you are not a member of the tech community now, if you are a member of the post-tech community, yeah, post-tech, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what community are you, would you describe yourself as most a member of? I used to think of myself as a blogger. I have thought of myself as a podcaster. And, and what's interesting or useful about those is it both describes like what I do, what I like and who I want to hang out with, which I think mm-hmm. is what a lot of those kinds of names mean. So just going to mm-hmm. blogger. Well, it doesn't that used to that used to kind of mean something because like I had a pretty popular website and I knew people who had popular websites and who fucking cares. But that's that. And right. so I think that's still true today, kind of with podcasting. I'm not super into. The, I'm not at all into the technical aspects of it. Um, I find that fatiguing. But I really mm-hmm. do enjoy the genre. I like the people who do it, by and large. And you I'm don't just, like packet loss. <clears throat> no, see, that's that's the kind of quality issue you got to actually worry about. You know, I got a new modem. Oh, really? I should tell you about it later. Yeah, it's three times faster than the other one. Can't yeah. wait to hear about it. <clears throat> My new Let's modem. talk about talk about that offline. And now, what about you? Because you seem um, not willful, but you seem like you're pretty. Well, you've heard me say before that one reason I admire Bob Dylan. And um, Neil Young, you name it. The the kind of people who are like, as soon as somebody puts a label on them, they're like, oh, you have no idea. And they go and do something else. Mm -hmm. I I really admire that even when it's self-defeating, I really admire people who are reluctant to be labeled by others. And that seems to me a big narrative for you is you don't like people telling you you're a fan. You don't like people Mm -hmm. telling you that you're you're this or that. So it must be hard sometimes to be part of a community because you seem resistant to commit to one community. Yeah, I and 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 particularly because um because I always well yeah after 3 days or 5 days with any community of people I always go okay you guys I got to get out of here see you later and then I go and and I do some and I and I join another community for a little while and you know the this this experience I've had in middle age of being embraced by the nerds has been the the most um, because it, it, because the the nerds embraced me in a way that was uh, that was very different than indie rock like indie rock and rock and roll don't really embrace you. Or at least they didn't, I didn't feel embraced exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, like indie rock and rock and roll are things that you try to gain admission to. And every step of the way, you feel like every time you feel, start to get a little comfortable, like, hey, I kind of belong here. But unless you're some kind of like doing outsider art and getting name checked in interviews with rock stars, it's difficult to say, you know, unless you are really being propped up by the industry and the monies in that industry, it's difficult to say you've been embraced by the community. Yeah, right. Or, or I mean, if you're John Doe, mm-hmm. and everywhere you go, you just feel like, 
every every rock and roll situation you walk into, you uh, 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 you feel like you belong, right? I mean, Debbie Harry. It also helps that he doesn't mind if you don't know who he is. It's a right. wonderful, and, wonderful quality about him. <laughs> and the amazing thing about John Doe is, if you have no idea who he is, he looks amazing, mm-hmm. right? I mean, in oh, a he way, does, and he's he's genuinely super nice. Super nice, and and like so, John Doe. Everywhere he goes, he talks he to my daughter. When I see him, he talks to my daughter way more than he talks to me. Of course, right? It's understandable. Like, I would mean, be like, "Oh my god, you did that Los Angeles record." In a way, he's like the Sam Shepard of rock and roll. Right, 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 right. He's he's just he's he's from another era, and he and and so he belongs. And I never felt when I would walk into a rock and roll scene, it, and I, and I feel like that's something just. It, inherent in the in in the machine of rock and roll it's not meant to it's not meant to embrace everybody you it's a it's an aspiration yes but with the nerds i was like no no thank you no thank you you know like walking through an airport and the hari oh, trying, <laughs> trying to put beads on, on you <laughs> yeah like and i'm like no thank you I'm no good. thank you, thank you. <laughs> and yet they were relentless and eventually i was like oh i guess i i am i am here i am a member of this <laughs> that's such I, a great way to think of it <laughs> i have so many fucking beads on me now it's a little disingenuous to claim that i'm not a part of this gang mm-hmm. um but you know every week i have three or four gatherings even in seattle where i'm with a group of people that i consider my friends there's five or six of us we have a long history together we sit and talk about the old days and we make plans for the for the next thing that we're going to do and those people do not know really anything about the people that i'm going to go visit next and have that same experience with so so i still am a person that is extra community um, and that the, the community, whatever community it is I'm a member of, I'm kind of the only member. Uh, and that's not really a, the description of a community. Not really, no. <laughs> so it's a, yeah. And, 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 and I wonder about it. I wonder what's next. And I, and I, and I wonder because of this idea of the artist and of the fact that I want to, make art and I want it to be, and I, and I'm comfortable with the fact that I'm not a genius, but I want my art to be good. And the, and that was a problem for years because I, what I wanted to be initially was a genius. And when you realize that you're not, and to be recognized as such. Yeah, right. And and just to, to make the thing that you're there to make and have people be like, this is fucking genius. And when you make the thing that you're there to make and people go, hmm, that's pretty good. What, what else you got? Yeah, and you realize like, oh, okay, I'm not a genius. That's very much how it is today. What else you got? Right. I mean, you know what I mean? It isn't like you can spend two years working on your latest magnum opus and then ride on that. Like more and more, it's like, well, what do you what are you doing? What are you doing in the last three months? Yeah, that was pretty good. That thing they made one time that was pretty good. Uh, what else you got? Yeah, you like the, you know, I'm a, I, you know, I like your stuff. I'm, you're three for five. So what, what are you doing next? And you're like, wait right. a minute, wait a minute. You're supposed to be lionizing something I did ten years ago. But the challenge, and it seems, you know, this, this is this is it handicapped me. But I'm starting to recognize that that really that puts a lot more emphasis on. The work mm-hmm. that you do, you know, and it, and, and it makes it so that you have to really work hard to make the best thing you, that you can. And, 
there is a line somewhere, and I feel like I'm on it, where if you do lazy work, then what you're making just doesn't get over the hump. <clears throat> if I if I oh, do lazy yeah, and there's work, also, but there's also the sirens call, and I, I don't want to sound cynical or like I'm being critical which I probably am. But the other thing to be careful of, we joked a few weeks ago about like, oh, you know, make sure you got a big philosophy for what you're going to do before you ever fucking make anything. I right. mean, the problem is that it, with, it's become extremely easy to have a community around anything, which on the face of it, certainly that's a great thing. It's, it's better mm-hmm. than the other, uh, the, you know, o- opposite. But you could, and I'm always, you know, having fun with the seduction community, those guys, those kinds of groups. But you can find yourself extremely involved in a very unproductive community, uh, especially if it's something like, a, as I like to say, a Facebook group about creative productivity. Like that, mm-hmm. that's, a, that's a really interesting community, and every second you spend with them is taking away from what you're nominally there to be doing. <laughs> right. Every, every time you're sitting there talking about how to neg chicks so you can bag an eight or whatever, like you're, you're sitting at a fucking computer talking to other men. You're not even good at the seduction community. What the fuck is wrong with you? Means. I'm so confused. Yo, you know, you don't know, you don't know about nagging? No. <laughs> you should join my seduction community. I don't know what a seduction community is. <laughs> I, I feel I feel so much like I know everything that's that somebody is going to say, and then you come out with something that I just have no, no nothing that you just said has <laughs> I, have I heard anything about. You should sign up for the forum. Seduction community. Once you post it 10,000 times, you're officially a salami commander. <laughs> Negging chicks. Um, uh, yeah, I, 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 I think about the Ramones, right, who just did the same thing over and over for 40 years. Right. And the, that thing was so great that, that it was just... They could just keep doing it, and, and and everybody wishes they were still alive. It was, and so, still it was it. so elemental that the less they added to it, the better it got. Right, right. And, I mean, even like adding adding one or two minor chords is fine, but we don't need a rock opera. What we love about this is the two minuteness of it, and the yeah, two minutes, and like don't don't get fucking too heady, and don't change your clothes, and don't and like just my, please. My favorite just Ramones this. song is a minute and thirty four seconds long. <laughs> Right, and the last four seconds is fade out. Now I want to have something to do. Now I want to sniff some glue. Now I want to have something to do. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. <laughs> <laughs> and then they play a different part, and they go back to the first part. Yeah. Anyway, now I want you're something saying. to do. Well, so but so uh, I just feel I feel increasingly like the group that I want to be a member of the the uh, the 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 real like culture or community that I want to be a part of is the community of people who are making good things that, that no matter what you think about them or no matter what you think. And, and there, and there's no pretense that it is, that it's genius, but that, that you look at it and you go, that is fucking well-made good job. Right. Um, and that is, a. And that is a community that I guess is like across all uh, all spheres. And but you don't you don't have meetings. That's one of those invisible ad hoc backstage before you, you the show. And you say, oh, oh yeah, I like your stuff too. All the great shows, but you might actually mean it because you go, oh fuck, you did that thing. That was you. Like right. wow. I mean, that's right. the greatest reaction you can get from somebody. I can't believe you did that. Right. Right. And, and, um, there's not, it's not like there's meetings and do's and buttons and shit. There's no, you don't arrive. You don't get to stay there. Yeah. That and kind you of don't community around, is very informal. You don't sit around every Saturday 
either. It is very informal, and it's kind of where I where I have felt I've been living a, a little bit on the on the on the uh, the fringe of yeah. for a long time, and and um, so yeah. So uh, this year, I really hope to to focus on, on on that and and focus less on on feeling excluded and more on just making a place for myself in uh, in the community of uh of my aspirations that's pretty good you should make that a facebook group the community, of John, the community of John's aspirations. Listen, the community of John's aspirations. Just come on over. We won't neg any chicks. <laughs> there is no rank of salami commander. <laughs> well, you get. Do you have to be an eight? If you if you get to be an eight on uh-huh. that that community, do you bring your wingman. You uh, you could you get you get twenty four uh, cock block experience points. <laughs> Oh, happy January 19th. Oh, what a good day.